So my business originally started as a solo psychotherapy practice. In 2007, I realized that I really had a passion and could serve a very specific niche. And since then, it's really evolved and grown and had several iterations. I remember early on, I had one therapist that I could call on to help me. There were very few bilingual therapists in Denver. There's also the stigma around receiving mental health services that is just endemic to our culture. And I think specifically in the Latinx culture, one of the things that I always used to tell clients as soon as they would come into my office was, just because you're here, it doesn't mean that you're crazy. Just that statement alone would help people really settle into the process. You're here to get the support that you need to be able to do whatever it is that you want in life. So this idea of being able to not only provide a service that was so needed, but to also be part of this movement to start to eliminate the stigma in our community felt important to me. In 2019, I really wanted to think about how could I start to grow this business in a different way. So the podcast is specifically about successful Black, Indigenous, and women of color who are overcoming trauma and becoming resilient. So I really looked for different people in different industries, executive director roles, CEOs of companies, starting small businesses, in politics. I think representation matters and that I want other people to see me and see other women of color doing something that they didn't know that they could do. Not everyone understands the issues of people of color. So even though we speak in the same language, they don't understand the themes or they cannot empathize with them. 70% of our listenership is international now. These kind of conversations are happening all across the globe. And as a black man, you know, I wasn't hearing that kind of conversation. When I'm seeing these themes in my practice, she's normalizing them for me and giving them language for me. To be able to have a bigger audience, to have a greater impact, is really our vision for the next three years. To be out there and be very public is difficult, but I think that that's my growth and that's the learning curve for me. Hey, it's Marisol. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Really quick, I wanted to let you know that we have partnered with U.S. Bank on their mission to power human potential through their Community Possible Grant Program. This program is dedicated to supporting communities like this one while addressing racial and economic inequities. This could be a great opportunity for you, so click the link in this episode description, learn more, and apply. Hello, this is Marisol Solar-Terlacher, psychotherapist and consultant, and this is the Resilience and Resistance Podcast, a podcast about successful Black, Indigenous women of color who have overcome trauma and become resilient. Hi, Anna. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for being the first of our Latina Entrepreneurship Series on the Resilience and Resistance Podcast. I'm really, really glad that you're here. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. So 99.9% um, .9 of the people that I have on this podcast, I know very intimately. <laughs> 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 and I've only recently had the opportunity to get to know you. Yeah. So talk a little bit about how we know each other. Uh, so we know each other uh, through the Latina Leadership's LEAP, so entrepreneurial program that we mm -hmm. both started, is it August, I think? I July, sometime July, in the summer. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the intent of the LEAP program is to help accelerate BIPOC, Latinx-owned businesses yep. um, to to get to a different level that some of those 
or Latinx specifically in our case, yeah. own companies don't get to get to. Yeah. Yeah. What motivated you to actually be part of the program? Well, I had done some um, other LLI programs, <coughs> and then I really, I think, just generally, I like the idea of looking at entrepreneurship through mm -hmm. that Latinx lens because I do think, you know, first of all, it's nice to commune with other folks in that community, and then also to think about how maybe we're impacted differently mm -hmm. than other groups are mm -hmm. as part of that framing. So mm -hmm. I do like the idea of having that all brought together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the idea of having people who are advising yes. us in the process that may have a similar experience. Yeah, yeah, that's been really helpful. Yeah, so the intent, I think, for me to bring you on here is because I think that I, I imagine for you as an entrepreneur and myself as well have a very unique experience and sometimes feel alone in that experience. Um, I think as a woman, uh, as a Latina, and as someone who was intent was never to become a small business owner right. uh, <laughs> and had to figure it out along the way, yeah. um, which I imagine you had a similar experience oh, yeah. th just thinking about and, and looking at your journey from the outside. Yeah. Um, so tell me about yourself. So you are the co-founder and COO of Inscribe. Yep. Yep. So tell us a little bit about Inscribe. So Inscribe is a, um, an online tool that integrates primarily with schools, also with publisher content, and the, really the intent is to provide an online community space for students that are learning outside of like a traditional classroom environment. So we used to call them non-traditional students. It feels yeah. like most students now are doing at least some of their learning online, and yeah. so many students are working parents, yeah. you know, working full-time not parents, and trying to go to school at the same time doing their coursework in the middle of the night, and they don't have a way to feel either connected to other students in the class, their instructors, the school in general. So what we're trying to do is create online community spaces so they can connect with each other and connect with their instructors and really have a more um, likely chance of persisting because they're getting that same support system that traditional like in-person, face-to-face students would get. Oh, that's great. So yeah. it's the idea of creating more connectedness exactly. within that setting. Yep. Yeah. So tell me more about you personally. So I know that you grew up in Colorado. Yeah. And um, that you were a teacher. Yes. At the beginning of your professional journey. But tell me, fill in the blanks for me. Tell yeah. me more. Yeah, so I grew up here. I'm the youngest of four. Um, four kids who education was a really big deal for my family. I was a terrible student. Mm. Really struggled in school. Not, you know, I was the classic, oh, she's got all this ability and she's, what's happening she's got terrible grades yeah, and I just yeah. really disliked school mm. so all through school I thought I could totally do this better this is ridiculous why can't I could be a teacher and so that was always my goal just because I hated school so much which seems not necessarily that yeah, good, yeah, but yeah. I just thought this shouldn't be this bad it, sh it could be better it should be better um, so I went to college out of state came back um, and wanted to be a high school teacher I taught in Denver at Lincoln High School and okay. then at George Washington High School, yeah. um, which parts that I loved. I loved the student part. Mm -hmm. I didn't love the, some of the parents weren't awesome. I mean, really, <laughs> just the amount of work. I was really young, uh -huh. right? 22 right. through 25. Oh, wow, yeah. And I was really committed to teaching kids how to write. Mm. And what I learned is that buries you in paperwork. And it's very easy to quickly burn out if you're like, we have to write every day, because then you have to grade it yeah, every right. day. And it was just like, <laughs> It was a lot. So um, so I left teaching and then went and just sort of did weird stuff for a while mm -hmm. and then ended up doing technical training and just when I was teaching I did the yearbook which I had not 
I had no journalism background. I had no technology background, but it was yeah. all on computers. This mm. was like the late 90s, so right. that was, or mid 90s actually. <clears throat> it was very like new very and early, edge. yeah, yes. yeah. And I was really good at the computer part, so then I just got into technology and then eventually found my way into education technology, mm -hmm. which was like the perfect fit for me because yeah. I could still have my fingers in education but then also have the technology part, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. But not a technologist, not like somebody who's coding or building mm -hmm. anything, just gets it, understands how it can be used, and you know, sees the applications and things. Yeah, so having that education ba background, was able, it help you, helped you understand the application. Definitely. And, the, and I imagine the implications of what connectedness means for students who are disconnected from. For sure, and I think too, one of the things that we like about the online community space is that you know, in a regular classroom, there's always gonna be somebody who raises their hand and asks questions, and then there's gonna be 20 other kids who would never raise their hand and ask yeah. a question. And so in the online space, if somebody asks a question, they can all see it. They don't have to ask it. They yeah. might be more inclined to ask something in writing that they wouldn't ever raise their hand to say in front of a group of people. Mm -hmm. So it also just makes it easier for people who normally wouldn't speak up or have access to that information to get involved with, you know, it's very, you can be passive yeah. and still get a ton out of it. Yeah, yeah, to be able to be an observer but engaged yes. in different ways yeah. and to be able to get the information that you need. Yeah. Um, so having, started the company. Um, tell us a little bit more about that. Like what was, so it seems as though the trajectory was kind of, uh, and I get this, I'm, I feel like most of my professional journey is very hap happenstance. Yes. Like I kind of did this and did that and people said do this and I did it and then ended up here. Yeah, so uh, it was never on my radar <laughs> yeah. at all. Yeah, so how did that, how did that end up being part of your professional journey? What, what led to you becoming a co-founder? It was sort of interesting. I, the folks that I co-founded with, I'd worked with before. So we all worked at a large publishing company, Pearson Education. They okay, did yeah. a lot of online learning. And we were part of a smaller company that was based out of Denver called eCollege that Pearson bought. Um, and so we were in this giant, it's a huge organization mm -hmm. at the time. It was thirty or 40,000 people. And it just felt really, really big and not like you could be nimble and do things on your own. So we followed one of our... Um, leaders to another company and it was not as great of an experience. It was mm. it was a startup, I'm gonna use air quotes. <laughs> it <laughs> didn't feel like a startup. Uh -huh. And it still had like a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of I felt in my role I brought it I was brought in to lead up their project management and portfolio management mm. team. And I had a lots of ideas. I was yeah. really excited about it. And I got very much dismissed by not by the person who brought me in but by other folks at the mm. business where I would say hey I'm thinking about these things and literally mid meeting they would say okay great can we be done yeah. and I thought well <laughs> these guys started a company yeah. <laughs> it seems like if these people can do it and you know maybe we should start our own thing so I kind of um, talked to uh, one of my co-founders who is also there and we were like, yeah, we should start our own company. And then I just went and started it. And then I told her like the next day, okay, so like I put in articles of incorporation, we're going. And she, so it was sort of just- Just on a really, like Yeah, just because it was so frustrating to not be able to make any changes yeah. and not be able to not be heard, yeah, not be able to be effective. It felt really like the opposite of empowering. And I wanted 
to do my own thing where we felt like we could work with people we liked who had the same value system that we had, doing things that we cared about. And it just seemed like almost anyone could do it, which is not true. (laughs) (laughs) But back then, it was like, this how hard can this be? Well, it's interesting that you say that because as you you said that, it, it sparked something in my mind around getting to a place, and I don't know if this is your ex- experience just personally, mm-hmm. and, and, and maybe as a Latina, and, and this piece resonates for me, mm-hmm. that you, you get into these positions where you maybe feel like an imposter in some yes. way. And then you recognize that you see the people sitting around the table and you're like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. I think I can do that or I can do it better. Right. Or I actually didn't believe that I should have a seat at this table when I should absolutely be here. Do you you feel like that was part of the experience? That was so much part of it. Because I think when I went into that new job, you know, it was a smaller company. I was going to lead up the team. You know, there was a lot of expectation that I would put in, you know, practices and Mm -hmm. help mold things. And then, so I felt, and I was nervous about that. And then when I got in there, I thought, oh, actually, I do know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And then to have people discount my ideas was incredibly frustrating mm-hmm. and so because I f- for sure went in feeling nervous about it mm-hmm. and then then yes when you look around you think well I know what I'm doing and yeah. now they don't think I know what I'm doing and so now I'm mad <laughs> before <laughs> I was nervous and now I'm angry uh-huh. so I think it was really sort of anger that led me yeah. to start my own company which seems sort of dysfunctional now that I say it out loud <laughs> but I do think that was part of it yeah yeah I mean I think it's it's probably part of our I think there's a way that anger and you know our ability to be able to see ourselves in those contexts mm-hmm. that help motivate that yeah. change and for us to actually take action. Yes. And as you have been um, in this process of being a co-founder, mm-hmm. I imagine that there are lots of challenges in doing that. Um, can you speak a little bit to that? What have been the biggest challenges for you in this process? You know, I think what's been interesting is that when we started this business, uh, you know, my whole company, myself included, really, ha- we have a good understanding. I have a really good understanding of our industry and the problem that we're trying to solve and how technology can help solve that problem. Mm-hmm. But all the things around running a company, so, you know, how do you set up your, what's the right corporate structure? Yeah. What's the right tax structure? Mm-hmm. Who do you, how do you, you know, if you decide to raise money someday, mm-hmm the tax structure that you started with isn't gonna work anymore. So we had to do that and just, and then also it's like a whole other industry and job learning about like the fundraising landscape. Mm -hmm. And and it's all again, very similar to a lot of things in life, Mm -hmm. very much who you know, Mm -hmm. it seems like. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have connections, which I don't have connections yeah. <laughs> in that world yeah. normally. I didn't, nobody in my family started a business. Nobody, right. you know, there's no like legacy of yep. having done this. Right. It's all trying to figure out who do you, who do you talk to? Who are you talking to that is actually just, ma- you know, paying you lip service that has no intention and just wasting your time and mm-hmm. who's actually going to help you? So there's so much around that mm-hmm. that seems like just a big, you know, a whole new world that I had no idea anything mm-hmm. about. Absolutely. You know, I think about this a lot in terms of when we, I, we probably started around the same time mm-hmm. uh, and having to figure things out uh, on your own and try to figure out the landscape. 
And I think people are at an advantage now because there's so many resources. Yeah. Like the, the idea, I know for myself, like when I started my private practice, there was not this idea of being a business owner and a clinician. Right. Was there wasn't really a lot of content or understanding, or I didn't really, I couldn't conceptualize it for myself. Right. And now it's just like there's, you know, there's so many young young women and, and young therapists who are doing it. But um, but I think that process of, of of being challenged with how do I even know how to do this? How do I figure it out? And really and truly, it really is about the network that you create. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think particularly for you, as early as you started in tech, I imagine that that was a challenge in itself in terms of trying to figure out how to be who you were in that setting. Yeah. How would you say that like being a Latina in the tech industry has been? It's been lonely. <laughs> <laughs> there aren't a lot of. Yeah. I would definitely say my experience in my entire professional career has been very much it's me. Yeah. Maybe one or two other folks. Or mm -hmm. in a giant organization, there will always be another Ana Hernandez. There will always be. <laughs> so like, but when you Google Ana Hernandez, right, there's, gonna there's going to be another one. And there's always one in there, but we never see each other. You know, yeah. we never work in the same offices. And it's always, it's very, especially in tech, you know, in my experience, was very white male, yeah. very much, um, there, there, there were very few women and then almost none of, of Latinas, so, mm -hmm. or Latinos, frankly. They were yeah. like a couple of us in the office, and that was fun, and everyone would ask. We both had the same last name, so everyone <laughs> assumed we were related. It's like, oh. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, there are millions of us. It's fine. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely, I'm not, I, I do not blend in. Yeah. 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 So thinking about this idea of funding, because mm -hmm. I think that especially for small business owners, yeah. um, BIPOC small business owners, Latinx small business owners, funding is an issue. Right. Um, I think through traditional lenders, I think through, like you said, sometimes it's about how do we how do we actually leverage the resources that we have in our community through our families. Mm -hmm. Some of those resources just aren't available to right. us, and people don't know how to do fundraising. Yeah. How has that process been for you? Because you know, in in preparing for my, our time together, I was doing some research and I think mm -hmm. I told you that they said like Latino, and I you know, I imagine Latino owned firms, tech firms, probably get about maybe 1% yeah. of venture capital funding. Um, and that's probably generous. Right, <laughs> you yes. Know, if, if you're looking at the numbers and you're, you're thinking about the mass of, you know, and I don't even know you, where the, that data came from. But talk to me about that process because I imagine that for any Latino in tech, yeah. who is thinking about starting a company, I imagine that that is a scary process. Yeah, I would say um, it, that's definitely been the experience that we've had. Mm -hmm. And I do know, um, you know, that there's also data around that, you know, Latinos are, and Latinas are less likely to go after traditional forms of funding, yeah, including right. this kind of thing. Yes. And, you know, some of that, I think, is self-reliance mm -hmm. we'll just figure this out mm -hmm. and some of it is that network mm -hmm. how do you find these people and a lot of the people giving you money are traditional like investors that are right. looking at you know you must have this kind of multiplier on your business and I think a lot of times in our case too we are not only a women and, and Latino owned business but we're also in a social venture you know like You're a social right. impact yeah space so we're looking more social venture capital yeah. where they're like more likely to be interested in a company that you know education is never going to be 
there's no like Uber of education. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I don't exactly. care if people say they're the Uber yeah. of education, it's just not gonna happen. Yeah. So finding people that are interested yeah. in you know, the impact that you're trying to make. Mm -hmm. And then also just, I mean, I have to say, it is true that, I mean, 99% of the time that we're pitching something, it's, we're the only women in the room. Yeah. And, you know, unless it is a an event aimed at women, mm -hmm. it's us. Yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. been. It's, ch I mean, I imagine the, the it, I think from my perspective, I would imagine there is a fear and intimidation factor that goes into that. Like, what is it? How, how that would be a challenge, but yeah. what 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 helps you in those moments of you know being? I can just the idea. I think yeah. the self reliance piece. I think is a big part, right? Because for me, it's it's. I think, and even being in um, even previous to the Leap program, as I've been thinking about you know getting some advisement around taking out a business line of credit mm -hmm. or getting a small business loan, okay. and those things in themselves, although they are fundamental to right. scaling your business mm -hmm. are terrifying yeah. to me. So I imagine this idea of bringing money in and then like you said, being the only Latina or, and the only woman in the room right. would I think bring a level of, and maybe this is my projection onto you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But um, what key, what helps you in those moments? Like what, what are the factors that really help you get through that? I think really, I'm really committed to the work that we're trying to do. Yeah. I really believe that what we're doing around connecting students to each other and to their schools is going to make them more successful. I yeah. feel like if you go into any environment and you're alone, it's hard. That's mm -hmm. like us going to pitch an investor, it's you know a student trying to go to school when they're, maybe they're the first one in their family or they're trying to work at the same time. Like any time you can have some support that helps. So like going into those rooms knowing that this is what we're trying to do mm -hmm. and there are people who work for us that we love and yeah. we want them to continue to have this opportunity as well and that we're impacting so many students that it really keeps you doing it even when it's sometimes not that fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that part's not my favorite part. Yeah. But, and fortunately I have a great co-founder Katie who does a lot of the heavy lifting on that. But yeah. And you know it's funny we've received interesting advice because we also have a male co-founder and we've gotten advice from other women that say you need to Definitely, trot him yeah, out more yeah. because you have a man on your you know mm -hmm. and it's just so like I don't first of all he doesn't want to yeah. <laughs> second of all we shouldn't have to, shouldn't have to right. but it but we have heard that more than once mm -hmm. that you need to have him more present mm -hmm. in the room if you want to get these kinds of things and it's just so discouraging yeah I can imagine I, I think that um, too that it be part of this idea of like you said the passion and the the investment mm -hmm. and how much you believe in in the vision and the mission of the company. I think those are all, those are such great motivators. Mm -hmm. What motivates you uh, to be an entrepreneur? Because I've been thinking a lot about this um, in my own life, and I think yeah. that there's a very I think a special uh, composition of personality yeah. or character or. I, that leads you into entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. but also keeps you in it. Because yeah. I know for myself, there are some days where I wake up and I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> why, what's hap why am I doing this again? Um, and so I think it's always good to ground yourself in the values and the, and, and the reason, your why, yeah. of why you're doing it. But what for you keeps you in it? Because I know that for me, there are some days where I'm like, I think that a, maybe a nine to five job would be nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think I like to prove people wrong. Mm. I think, I don't know that that's the healthiest motivator, but I like to prove, and one of those people being myself, right. because I definitely have a lot of self-doubt. And I want to do things that I think either I can't do, like I think I can't do it, or maybe other people have thought, like I cannot ever imagine Anna doing something like this. Yeah. So I have felt that, I know other people have felt that as well. Mm -hmm. I'm not naturally a big risk taker. I think my sister and I talk about this a lot. We did not grow up with a lot. And so employment wise, we're always pretty risk averse. Like yeah. we want stable income or we don't have to worry about it and so this for me is such a huge departure yeah. from like just wanting to make sure that everything is stable and that I don't have to worry about mm -hmm. that is the opposite of the experience in my entrepreneurial mm -hmm. journey where sometimes everything is amazing and sometimes it's just so bleak yeah you're and you're like how am I gonna eat tomorrow right <laughs> yeah so um but I do like the idea of challenging myself mm -hmm. to do a thing and then also I think couple things one I think it's great I have a 12 year old son I think it's so important for him to see that mom is doing something yeah. like this so he just thinks women run companies like yeah. he just thinks that's the norm and that's which I think is fantastic that's mm -hmm. just what he thinks and I also just want to be a Latina out there doing that yeah. and just trying to make those numbers better like yes. no look so many of us are running successful companies and um, and have it be, you know, somebody can look and, and if they have, if they ever run across me, they know there's a Latina that has run a business and, you know, I can help and all of those things, so. Yeah, yeah, I love that you say that because I think that that's so important to me and one of my whys is yeah. this idea of representation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that there are lots of different thoughts about what representation means, mm -hmm. but I think this idea of being seen and having to be public and having to challenge ourselves to be at those meetings, to ask for the funding, to to be in the rooms that we maybe historically have not been in mm -hmm. um, is important and important for other people to see that they can do it. Yep. In terms of, like, I think for Latinas in tech, mm -hmm. what, for, for a Latina out there who's thinking about starting a business, thinking about founding something, mm -hmm. um, what advice would you give them? What would you want them to know? I think, that you know more than you think you know. Mm -hmm. I think that trusting your own abilities is so hard. And I would imagine that we all know more than we think we know. Mm -hmm. I think all the time I'm, you know, as a new business owner, I'm sure you have this experience as well. We talked about it a little bit already. You're constantly running into things that you've never done before, but that doesn't mean you can't. Right. And that doesn't mean that the experiences that you have, you know, in your profession or whatever aren't going to also help fill in those gaps that you don't know. So mm -hmm. I think just really trusting that if you've gotten, you know, from A to B, you can get to C and D. It's just all about pushing yourself a little bit outside your comfort zone. You know, it's not even faking it until you make it. It's just, you're not even faking it. Right. <laughs> you yeah, just yeah, yeah. Like you think you're faking right. it, but you're not. You have a lot more ability than you think you do. Yeah, I think that's so great. Yeah. And it's so true that this idea of getting from A to B, mm -hmm. you know, I think that I, I've taken um, notes over the course of my, my journey as a professional and, you know, what are my, in terms of my goals, like what are the things that I've desired at certain times in my life and I've gone back and it's almost comical <laughs> <laughs> <That was laughs> to think about like, 
oh my gosh, if I could just make X amount of money, if I could just do this one thing, if I could just have this many clients, whatever it was, right. whatever the goal was in that moment, that felt so overwhelming and like uh, impossible. Right. And I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like I'm, you know, at like EF, you know, right. in terms of where I am now in my journey. And I never thought I would be. But I think that that point around being able to trust yourself and know that you know more than you think mm -hmm. and that the things that seem impossible are probably much more possible than you actually believe. Right. Uh, and I think probably for us, you know, I, I think because we have similar intentions in terms of reasons why we do this work, um, is that the more that we personally are able to push ourselves and professionally, I mean, obviously in this context, professionally, but I think I think part of the entrepreneurship journey is really personal. Yeah. I, I think that it really is about personal growth and about challenging the limitations that you believe that you have. But I think thinking about professionally for us and being able to be representative in, in our fields or whatever it is that we desire to do, this idea of continuing to believe in yeah. ourselves and to believe that we can do more than we, we thought possible is so important because then we were able to give that example and then be able to look behind and say, here are the things that I didn't know. Right. That can accelerate <laughs> your process. Well, yeah. too, I think, you know, when you say that you were writing things down the whole time along, you weren't writing necessarily what today would look like. Right. You were just writing the next step. And I think it's so easy to get stuck in, how am I gonna build this giant mm -hmm. tower when really all you need to do is yes. like, get a step you know like it's just if you break it down into small enough pieces mm -hmm. even if you don't do that consciously I can't you know we joke all the time I can't believe like we're still in business I mean not not in a bad way you know not <laughs> yeah. like yeah. but it's just shocking when you think about the statistics of how many new businesses go out yeah. in the first two years and mm -hmm. then we're like eight years in and it just seems crazy yeah. that we're running a business and that's fine. <laughs> like I'm a real grown-up with yeah. a business and people on a payroll, and it's like it's the whole thing. Yeah. And I'm, how did I get here? It's yeah. just really. But if you just don't think about, it's not that we have no visions or anything. But if you're not yeah. thinking about like all the things that mm -hmm. could make it impossible, you would just never start. Mm -hmm. It's just not possible. It's not. I run a lot of marathons. I'm running a marathon next week, and it's oh, not yeah. like you run 20 miles the first week of training, mm -hmm. you run 20 miles like 20 weeks into training. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with starting a business. You mm -hmm. just have to like do the small things and then eventually it becomes a big thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've run marathons in the past. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me mentally, it's always about how do I get to the next mile? Yeah. How do I get to the next mile? <laughs> it's never thinking about the end of the finish, finish line. I just mile. have to get there. And then I'm, I might cry. Mm -hmm. on that mile, but mm -hmm. that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I might cry in two more miles too. And then be I may be regretful, deeply, deeply <laughs> regretful that I ever thought about doing For it. For sure, <laughs> gonna run through that at some point, yeah. Uh, I always use, I, I did a, um, a run called the Trans Rockies Run. Don't do it, people, don't. It's, oh, <laughs> it's not, not worth it. Done, no but problem. <laughs> it's a Off six day list. race. Oh man. And no. I always tell the story about the race uh, where I got to a point where mentally, all I could do was think of the next aid station because, you know, yeah. we had to run almost a, a marathon in the mountains every day. And I would just think about, like, if I get the, to the next aid station, I'm going to be okay. And uh, the last aid station, I knew I had three miles, and I only had three miles in me left. That was it. And um, they had a sign that said, five miles to go. Because oh. they would move, they would move the, yeah, yeah. The, the finish line. 
And I was like, I had a mental breakdown. I'm sorry to my running partner at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize. But I think that to your point, you know, and it's so, I think it's sometimes I think for myself, it's so cliche to think yeah. about races and running and training as, you know, a metaphor for business or for right. life. But it really is about mm -hmm. having these moments. I know for myself mentally where I think, can I keep doing this? Like, is this sustainable or... Are we, am I gonna make it through this recession? Am I gonna make it, right. you know, will I be here in, in 10 years? And what will that look like? I think just getting to the next thing is so valuable. Yeah. Because I, I think mentally it helps us know that the next thing isn't going to be as challenging. Right. It, we just have to, you know, it's it really becomes a mental game a lot of the time. Yeah, and you can remind yourself of all the things you've already done, yeah. right? So yes, it's yeah. like, well, I've already done that. Right. And so if I did that, I can probably do this. Yep. And if we survived COVID, yeah. <laughs> we'll survive whatever this next one is. We don't know that's coming. You know, like whatever yeah. that is, you always can think, well, we did that. We figured that out. I, I know how to do that. So this is just another thing I have to figure out. And then I can, you know, as long as you're thinking of just exactly what you said, just that next thing, mm -hmm. you know, you know that the end is you want the end, but mm -hmm. you have to just get through each thing as it comes. Yeah, yeah. So part of this podcast, and obviously this is a little bit different mm -hmm. uh, since we're doing this series and we're really focused on entrepreneurship in, among Latinas um, and Latina founders, I, I want to know from you um, what resilience means to you as an entrepreneur. So, I mean, obviously we've, we've spoken a little yeah. bit to it in terms of just getting to the next thing, but when you think about this idea of being resilient, because just in your story and and just knowing you and sitting with you, mm. I mean, obviously there's, you've, you've, you have so much resilience. Yeah. What, what does that mean for you in this entrepreneurial journey? I think it means, uh, that's a good question, how to, how to explain it. I think for me, resilience is really about staying the course. Mm. So knowing that what, you know, leaning into that idea that what I'm doing matters mm -hmm. and the people that I am doing it with matter. Yeah. And so, whatever hard thing that I'm in the middle of, if I keep that sort of grounding in mind that I care about the people that we're serving, I care about the people that I work with, I can keep moving, we can keep going, even though there are mornings that you're just, I, I've been there, boy, a mm -hmm. nine to five would be great. I could just work <laughs> for someone and they would go out and figure, and I could just get paid. And yeah, just get that money rolls right into my yeah, checking I don't account. even know how that gets there. <laughs> just I just do work and then money comes. Yeah. Um, but I think just keeping in mind that I really care about what I'm doing and I really care about who I'm doing it with just keeps me going forward and keeps me really centered on making sure that I'm staying the course. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much for being on our podcast today. I'm so excited that we're able to do this together and I'm really excited to continue. To, I, I'm able to be on this journey with you through the LEAP program and you know, having some entrepreneurial support along the way. So thank you so much for Thank for you for having us. me, this was really fun. Yeah.